Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. The United States has uh, announced it will have a diplomatic boycott of the 2022 Winter Olympics in Beijing. Uh, the athletes will still compete in the games, but no, apparently no U.S. officials will be there. Uh, joining me right now to talk about the rationale for this uh, boycott and its possible effect, we've got Benedict Rogers, Ben's chief executive of Hong Kong Watch. He's a human rights activist specializing in Asia. He writes on Christian solidarity worldwide and serves with the United Kingdom's Conservative Party's Human Rights Commission. You can follow him on Twitter at Benedict Rogers and visit his work at hongkongwatch.org. All those will be listed at our website as well. Ben, good to have you back here. Thanks. Thank you so much. Great to be with you. Uh, What I'd like to know is, what is a diplomatic boycott? Exactly what does that mean? Well, essentially it means that uh, for those governments that impose it, no government officials, no senior ministers, uh, no representative of that government will attend the Games. And I'm, I'm really delighted that not only the United States, but Australia, Canada, the United Kingdom, Lithuania, Belgium, and possibly some others have already declared it. So this is a this is a, this is going to is this going to create a significant absence? I guess is what I, I'm curious about. In other words, the Chinese are going to say, "Well, it doesn't matter because you know those officials were never invited in the first place. Nobody's going to miss them." Tell me why the Chinese response uh, doesn't hold water. Yeah, I mean, I think on the surface that is what the Chinese uh, will say and indeed have said. Um, But uh, actually underneath, uh, it is quite a significant rebuff uh, to the Chinese. It it sends a very clear message that the governments that are imposing a diplomatic boycott uh, are, are saying we're not going to be complicit with, we're not going to stay silent in the face of uh, what now amounts to genocide of the Uyghurs, the dismantling of freedom in Hong Kong, uh, the intensifying persecution of Christians, repression in Tibet, forced organ harvesting, mm-hmm. and a whole litany of, of appalling human rights atrocities that have intensified under Xi Jinping's leadership. So it's, it's about sending a message. Um, I, I don't pretend that it uh, by itself is going to change the situation, but it but it shows that these governments are prepared to take a stand and and deliver a clear message. So, so it's one way then, certainly signaling to the Chinese that they're they're not on, they're not being as, I mean, they've been hoping to be you know part of the welcomed into the global community. This is one way of saying they're not being a good neighbor, right? Yes, that's exactly right. Um, and it, it's quite, it's particularly significant, I think, because for, uh, the last few decades, uh, most of our governments have adopted a, a policy of not just engagement, and I don't have anything against engagement, depending on how you define it. Sure. But actually, a, a, a policy of, of pretty much kowtowing to Beijing, doing what, you know, avoiding doing anything that will upset Beijing. And now finally they're saying enough is enough. You know, it's more important to take a stand than to worry about upsetting Beijing. And that's why this is significant. Is, are the words genocide and crimes against humanity actually being used in the official statements from these nations? Uh, I'm not sure that I have seen them yet 
uh, although I do know that the United States government and some of the other uh, governments and certainly parliaments of the countries that have imposed the diplomatic boycott uh, have um, have used those terms. Um, both the Trump administration and the Biden administration, within a day of them changing from one to the other, uh, both uh, declared the Uyghur situation a, a genocide. Mm. Um, okay. uh, so I don't think it's necessarily been referred to in the official statements about the diplomatic boycott, but certainly it is being used in wider discourse. Uh, are the boycotts controversial uh, in the nations that declare them? I don't think they are, really. I mean, I think the only controversy, if there is any, is that um, it's taken the government uh, so long to get to this point. And certainly in the case of my own government in the United Kingdom, uh, we, you know, there were months of members of parliament uh, pushing the government on this and having to drag, drag this decision out of them. And finally, the Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, uh, confirmed that um, that there would be a boycott uh, just a couple of weeks ago. So I think the only controversy is that it, it took them so long to get there. But I think the, the sense of unity behind the decision is, is pretty strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you expect that uh, athletes from the boycotting nations will speak out when they are in China? I I don't expect them to speak out and I don't encourage them to speak out while they are in China because uh, China today is a very dangerous place, not least for athletes with the disappearance of Tong Shui. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it would be a risky business for any athlete to uh, speak out in China. But what I do hope and I encourage athletes, uh, if they choose to participate in the Games, uh, to do is is once they have left uh, China, left the Games, I hope they'll use their platform to then speak out on on, on the issues. Or uh, to, I also appeal to the consciences of athletes to consider whether or not they should take part in the games. I, I haven't called for a, uh, a sporting boycott because okay. I think it's up to the consciences of every athlete. But I hope they will uh, consider either using their platform to speak out after the games or not go to the games. Mm-hmm. Is there any history on diplomatic boycotts like this? I mean, I remember we had the the uh, the real you know the full boycott and back in uh, 1980 in the Russia Soviet uh, Olympics. Uh, what about diplomatic boycotts? Have we had experience with those? Not that I'm aware of, and certainly not in in recent history. Um, I mean, even the uh, I think the, we had the Winter Games in in Russia not so long ago, and there were obviously concerns about human rights issues in Russia. But I I don't believe there was any diplomatic boycott there. So, um, no, I, I, not for a long time, if, if at all. Uh, every once in a while you hear people say, uh, refer to the 1936 Olympics uh, in Berlin, uh, sometimes called the Nazi Olympics. Uh, are there comparisons that people make uh, between this, uh, you know, going to China to compete and going to Germany as, you know, Hitler was uh, reaching the, the height of his power? Well, one should always caution uh, comparisons with, with Hitler and Nazi Germany um, uh, for, for various reasons. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that uh, the similarities are becoming clearer and clearer. And it's uh, quite significant that in the UK, at least, I don't know if this is the case in the US, but um, the community in the UK that has been most outspoken and most at the forefront of, of uh, campaigning for 
the Uyghurs, um, uh, is the Jewish community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the president of the Board of Deputies of British Jews, the chief rabbi, uh, other prominent Jewish leaders, they themselves have actually drawn some parallels with the Holocaust, which, as you know, is a very rare thing for the Jewish community to do, understandably. Yeah. So, um, so for them to be doing that is, is very significant. Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, the parallels are there. There are concentration camps, there are Uyghur uh, people being uh, loaded onto trains, um, beards uh, shaven, um, used for forced labor, uh, and, and a leader, Xi Jinping, who increasingly is not, not only repressing his own people, um, but is becoming more threatening to the rest of the world, and particularly his near neighborhood with Taiwan. So um, I, I, I would be still cautious about making uh, direct parallels, but I think you can see the similarities. Sure. You mentioned uh, Xi Jinping, Chinese president, uh, who looks like you know he's intending to dominate his country's future. Uh, is he, in your read of the situation... Is he elevating himself to a position that in the past was only uh, occupied by Mao Zedong and, and maybe to some lesser extent Deng Xiaoping? That's exactly what he's doing. Um, since uh, Deng Xiaoping, and even with Deng Xiaoping, I mean, he yes, he was a charismatic sort of paramount leader, but he, he reduced the cult of personality that existed around right. Mao. But certainly since Deng... Um, uh, China has has been led by a much more collective leadership with uh, clear term limits uh, un, under the, the constitution. And Xi Jinping has, first of all, built a cult of personality around himself, uh, similar uh, really to, to, to Mao, uh, um, and he has ended uh, term limits. So in, in theory, he could be uh, there for, for as long as he wants to and potentially for life. Hmm. What is the situation in Hong Kong right now? The situation in Hong Kong is uh, is grim and, and getting ever uh, darker. Um, just yesterday, and the results came out uh, this morning, uh, Hong Kong held, um, I don't call them elections, I call them selections, because uh, they were completely sham uh, election for uh, Hong Kong's legislature, um, Hong Kong's legislature was never totally de- uh, democratically elected, but it did have a sig- significant proportion of seats that were directly ele- elected and contested by pro-democracy candidates and won by pro-democracy candidates in the past. Um, what happened yesterday was, under new rules imposed by Beijing, uh, which reduced the number of directly elected seats, increased the number of seats that were sewn up already for Beijing, um, gave the right to vote to mainland Chinese uh, residents, and on top of all of that, imposed um, an oath of allegiance, uh, not really to the country, but to the Chinese Communist Party, which made it impossible for uh, pro-democracy candidates to contest. And so it, it, it's a complete forward election. Um, and the Hong Kong people um, made made their own view of that clear by uh, it was the lowest uh, turnout um, since the handover in 1997, just about 30% of people turned out to vote. So um, uh, the situation in... And I should add, um, uh, many of of the former pro-democracy legislators directly elected in, in the past 
are now in jail or, or in exile. Mm. So it's, um, it's a dire situation where pretty much all of Hong Kong's freedoms now have been dismantled. Yeah. Okay. So that, um, and again, with the increased, uh, the elevation, increased elevation of, of uh, Xi Jinping, it's hard to see that that's going to change anytime soon, I suppose. Uh, it is hard to see that. No. Uh, although I would say that um, he he is uh, seems he, he seems to be particularly good at attracting uh, uh, annoyance and, and anger from people who um, perhaps in the past w- wouldn't have been uh, okay. prepared to stand up to him. So that's an encouraging sign, and hopefully the world will put more and more pressure on on him. And ben, thank you so much.